Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. We've got, of course, the election coming up on Tuesday. And when most people think of midterm elections, their attention is focused on races for Congress, governor, ballot initiatives like we have this time with Proposal 3. And there are others. But it's important to remember that there is another race. And that is for, in this case, you've got the state Supreme Court. You've got other courts that we've got races on. My guest, Judge Michael Warren, is one of the most respected jurists uh, in the state of Michigan. He has served for 20 years on the Oakland County Circuit Court, and he's a law professor, a former member of the Michigan Board of Education, and uh, Judge Warren has also uh, been on this program before talking about uh, what he's done with Patriot Week, which is an effort uh, aimed at educating the public about the Constitution and American history. And uh, Judge Warren, good to have you back here. Thanks. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. It's always a delight uh, to come on your show. Well, thank you. And I know that uh, while you're uh, you are looking forward, I hope to being elected uh, this time out. We're not here to talk about your race. We're here to talk about the general interest people need to have when it comes to voting uh, for uh, various judges. Tell me. I think a lot of people think judges are appointed. Yeah, so uh, judges are appointed in the federal system, and they have this great, they're the closest thing to nobility in our system of government because they serve for life. So once they're nominated by a president and confirmed by the Senate, they're there except for for life, for except for uh, you know, extreme circumstances where they might be impeached. Sure. Uh, but that is not the case in our state system. So we have... Uh, four-level system in our state. We have a district court, which is your local community court. Usually it's uh, one or a few um, towns or villages or townships. Uh, then you have a circuit court, which is at least a county-wide court. It can be more than one county, but um, it's at least as big as a county. So I serve on the Oakland County Circuit Court. You know, i got about 1.2 million people in my county. Wow. Um, and then we have the Court of Appeals. And the Court of Appeals is where, um, if you're unhappy with decisions at the trial court level, you usually have a right to appeal to the Court of Appeals. Mm-hmm. And there are 25 judges who are selected out of four different districts in the state, so the chapel both in the four districts. My district is uh, Oakland, Macomb, and Genesee County, district number two. Uh, I know you're in Ann Arbor. That's a different district. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's four districts. They all have about the same population. And that is really the most, uh, I used to, when I was, you mentioned I was on the State Board of Education, when I was on the State Board of Education, I used to tease basically myself saying it was the most anonymous position in state government <laughs> next to the Court of Appeals. <laughs> the Court of Appeals is even more anonymous. <laughs> then uh, if you're unhappy with the decision of the Court of Appeals, you can seek what's called leave to appeal to the Supreme Court. But the Supreme Court doesn't have to take a single case. So they cherry pick the cases they want to hear. And uh, typically, um, the Court of Appeals would decide about 98% of all appeals. And then the Court of Appeals then cherry picks the cases that are, you know, that they, they want to address. Um, all those levels have a substantial impact on the administration of justice for our citizens. And, uh, you know, the, the adage that I like to say is nobody cares who the judge is until they're facing the judge. Yeah. Then yeah. all of a sudden, you know, that person may be the most important person in their life, uh, making huge decisions. And it could be child custody. Um, it could be, 
your constitutional rights. It could be, if you're accused of a crime, your freedom and liberty. Uh, probate matters, what happens to your state or the state of your you know, loved ones. Um, all, mental health issues, juvenile cases. You know, there's a lot of stuff that is really important, and it's really essential that we have great judges in all four of those levels yeah. uh, to be able to make sure that uh, justice is served. Uh, also, go oh, sorry, go ahead. no, no, go right ahead. Mm-hmm. And I also say it's it's fundamental to our separation of powers that we have a legislature that makes the law. We have a um, executive branch that enforces the law, and then a judiciary that's supposed to figure out the law means in any particular case and adjudicate that to make decisions in connection with controversies that come before it. And the judiciary is a little unique because usually it is the final say on what the law means and how it's applied, and therefore um, it's extraordinarily important to have people that are in office that understand that that's their role and that there shouldn't be legislating from the bench. And that's been a serious problem for generations, really. Um, and so uh, it, it's important to be informed on, on voting, not just based on, you know, somebody qualified, do they have the experience, do they have the right temperament, but also do they have the right judicial philosophy mm-hmm. when they put on that black robe. Yeah. So it's really important that voters pay attention. Um, unfortunately, um, it's often hard to, to dig into the uh, background and, and judicial philosophy of judicial candidates. It's a little easier nowadays because there's websites uh, that, and, you know, social media, Facebook, sure. uh, LinkedIn, that kind of stuff where you can do some research. Uh, but you have to make an effort. Uh, judicial races typically don't um, have millions of dollars, you know, in advertising, for example, they do in the governor's race. Now, are these supposed to, are the are the judicial positions considered nonpartisan positions formally? Yes, so they are nonpartisan, uh, but there's a twist. So, district court judges, circuit court judges, and court of appeals judges, you can only run in one of two ways. If you're an incumbent, you can file what's called an affidavit of candidacy. Super simple. Fill in a form, you turn it in. Um, although there's been some issues with that this election year because they changed, they didn't change the form, but they changed the law. It was a big mess. Oh. But be that as it may, okay. very simple. Um, but if you want to, if you're not a sitting judge in that spot, then you have to get petitioned. And that's pretty onerous. Um, and uh, I know I, I had to do it. I had to get 6,300 or so, and I ended up getting 9,640. I remember that. I'll <laughs> never forget that number. For uh, this particular race? For this particular race. Wow. Right? Okay. Uh, yeah. And um, so that, and I did that just in the subway, but there was a little army that was very passionate <laughs> about me and went out. So that, it couldn't have been done without the army. Okay. Um, but the Supreme Court, getting to your question, it's very peculiar because the Supreme Court, they do, they can, if they're a sitting justice, they can file the affidavit. But typically they are nominated from a party convention. So the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, the Green Party, Natural Law Party, Libertarians, they have these state conventions, U.S. Taxpayer Party, and then they nominate who they want to have on the ballot uh, for Supreme Court. But then, when they get on the ballot, their party affiliation disappears. Hmm. Really? So, you know, example, Justice Zara just was uh, nominated, and Paul Hudson, his, I guess his running mate, they were both nominated from the um, Republican 
convention, but you will not see an R next to either of their names. Hmm. So people go in and they sometimes they'll vote straight ticket, right? They'll vote straight Democrat, straight Republican, and they miss all the judicial races because it is not heard of. And a lot of people don't understand that. So it's very important. So if you if you vote straight ticket, you're you're bypassing the uh, the judgeships. Exactly. Wow, that's exactly. good to know. And also, your your city council races; those are typically nonpartisan. Your school board races are nonpartisan. Uh, the proposals are obviously nonpartisan. So if you just do straight ticket and walk out, you've left h- half the ballot, maybe even more, um, without without casting a vote on those really important issues and mm-hmm. positions. Mm-hmm. Now. Uh, various various groups. I mean, I was looking over the Detroit News, for instance, uh, went ahead and made an endorsement of you. H- how do they how, how do they decide what judges are you know uh, something somebody they want to support? Well, I guess you'd need to ask the Detroit News. <laughs> I guess you're right. By, yeah, but what what they, what they they did do an interview. They did a Zoom interview of us, and they asked. Uh, I'm sure they asked the same questions to me and my, my adversary. Yeah. Um, and uh, judicial races, um, it's just practically, it's you have to kind of hunt these opportunities out. So I've, I've been fortunate enough to be endorsed by the Police Officers Association of okay. Michigan and the Fraternal Order of the Police and Sheriff Michael Bouchard and Sheriff Anthony Wickersham, the Republican and Democrat. But I, I went to them and said, hey, guys, there's this race. Okay. And then they go through the process. And they go through it, but typically for judges, um, probably like school boards and city council people, there really isn't um, an affirmative um, w- way that the, those organizations go out. You kind of have to shake the trees yourself. Yeah, uh, yeah. but I think those are good indicators of um, of who uh, you know, that helps you figure out who's the. The one exception to that would be uh, right to life. I think they they're pretty organized and uh, reach out to people and. I've been blessed to be endorsed by them, um, but otherwise, most of them organizations uh, they just they, they ignore the judicial race. Yeah. like unfortunately, a lot of our citizens do. Yeah, I, I've noticed that, and that's why I was that's why I asked. I was just curious how how do uh, organizations uh, like Detroit News? Uh, I, I knew that Michigan Right to Life was very diligent in uh, paying attention to the judicial races. But I was just curious how. Uh, who, who actually decides to come out and offer uh, endorsements and what kind of research may go into the work that they do. Um, now, the other day I talked with former Michigan uh, Supreme Court Justice Maura Corrigan. Uh, we were talking about Proposal 3. Uh, you and I aren't talking about Proposal 3 today. But uh, one thing that uh, concerns me is the process of a constitutional amendment at all. Um do, is it is it is it common for uh, an issue like abortion, which has been returned to the states, is it common for something like that to first of all go through battles within the state legislature before it's even proposed as an amendment? Well, well that's a great question. Um, my, I, I'm now. Uh, in this area, but I would say from my observation that um, usually there's some kind of legislative effort that either fails or 
succeeds and people are unhappy with whatever right. has been passed by the legislature. And then there's a ballot proposal. I That's, think, yeah. uh, you know, the Dobbs decision um, re-energized federalism. Um, and I'm a strong proponent of federalism. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's been a lot of direction at the state level because that's what the Dobbs decision said. You know, these, these will be state issues. Um, you know, there's been several similar, it's hard to believe, but we used to have an amendment in the Michigan Constitution defining what America is. Huh. Then, you know, um, because that was a big controversy and some states were, were passing laws. That it wasn't between a man and a woman. We passed the referendum that it was, and then the Supreme Court overrode that in their decision over itself. Yeah. So I think these kinds of issues uh, it, uh, are something that, that, that are battlegrounds um, in, in several states. Yeah. 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 Dr. Warren, hold it there. We'll come back on the other side of the break. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Join me is uh, Judge Michael Warren. We've been talking. Uh, about some of the issues surrounding the judicial elections. It's important to keep in mind that the, at the state level, these are nonpartisan positions. So if you're going to vote, uh, if you want to vote for a, a, a judgeship, then you can't vote straight ticket because it'll bypass uh, the judicial uh, races. So we've been talking about uh, you know the process, the importance of paying attention to uh, who's running there. And at the close of the last segment, I was asking him uh, why uh, was it unusual for Proposal 3 to be put forward as a constitutional amendment, essentially bypassing the, the give and take of normal debate in the legislature. And so uh, I wanted, wanted to make that wanted to make it clear that from my perspective, this was a this was an end run around the normal legislative process. Now I was just wondering about the process itself because it seemed to me it was a, kind of jumping the gun to immediately boot this up to a constitutional amendment. But um, now, if you once you are uh, elected to the Michigan Court of Appeals, how long do you serve? Great question. So all judicial positions are six-year terms, with the exception of the Supreme Court, which is an eight-year term. Um, but I'm running for a partial position because there was uh, Governor Whitmer made an appointment. That person has to run to keep the seat for the remainder of the term. A friend of mine passed away, Jonathan Tuckle, may rest in peace, who was on the Court of Appeals. So for those kinds of elections where somebody retires or passes away and there's an appointment, they, there's a retention election, and that's for the remainder of the term. So for me, it would be um, when I win, I would have a four-year term until the next cycle of six years kicks in. Um, so that about half of the judges in the state get appointed by the governor to initially take office, mm-hmm. and they all have to face these retention elections. I see. They're relatively rare that somebody actually challenges them, but but it's part of the process and. Um, so there's a lot of partial terms out there, I guess, that people uh, fill at the initial part of their uh, public service as a judge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the importance, I guess, I want to come back to this question of uh, ruling from the bench 
many people, I think, are under the impression that it's the role of a judge to look at uh, cases that are presented and then uh, do what they think is best. In other words, that the judge has some sort of refined sense of justice, some sort of um, internal uh, measure for what's fair and what's not fair, and that that's what he really is supposed to do, that he's not bound by the law per se, but he's bound by his own um, moral uh, sensibilities. Um, What's wrong with that position? Well, um, when the law is clear and the judge decides to avoid the law, to add things to it that don't exist or take things away that aren't there or that are there and um, decides that they're basically they're acting as a super legislature or a philosophical king, right. that subverts separation of powers um, because, you know, the people vote for the legislature to make the law, not the judges. And then um, that destroys the social compact because, again, the compact is that the legislature will be making these decisions through the Constitution and you know, the constitutional powers and undermines that, and it, um, it, it really subverts our freedoms and liberties. Yeah. There are times when the judge get, a judge is given discretion, and they have to make, sure. like, for example, sentencing. Okay, There's a lot of discretion in many cases. Sometimes there's no discretion, but sometimes there is uh, a wide range of discretion. And then you do want judges that have some kind of moral internal compass uh, to look at what happened in, in the case, to look at what happened to the victim, see the situation of the defendant, figure out what makes sense under those circumstances. But generally... Um, it is not the, the role of the judge is to follow the law, not to avoid it or supersede it <laughs> right. or undermine it. Yeah, yeah. Well, Judge Warren, let me thank you again for joining me today, and I uh, uh, hope we can talk uh, again and more frequently in the future. Um, uh, we, uh, I would love it. I'll be looking forward to uh, this Tuesday's uh, election. Thanks. Thank you. God bless you, and God bless America. <laughs> judge Michael Warren is, again, uh, I consider him to be a remarkable uh, jurist. Uh, he's been serving for 20 years now as Oakland County Circuit Court. And uh, as the Detroit News pointed out, he's one of the region's most respected jurists. Uh, I know Judge Warren because uh, he's a co-creator of Patriot Week, which was an effort uh, aimed at educating the public about the Constitution in American history, and he developed that uh, at that time, way back with his uh, 10-year-old daughter. And I think this is one of those uh, we we really do need to understand the role that our founding documents play in maintaining a center. Uh, You know, what holds us together uh, as a people? Well, there are many things, but certainly our founding documents are critical uh, to this process. And unfortunately, fewer and fewer people seem familiar with the documents themselves. Even fewer are familiar with the contexts in which those documents were put forward. Uh, so, you know, you don't really, you can't really understand a document 
without understanding something about the circumstances in which it was written, because it's written at a particular moment in history to address uh, certain situations within the society and within the culture, within the interests of those who are writing the document. Uh, so we need uh, we need uh, people, public servants, who will go out of their way to establish things like Patriot Week in order to do this work of education. So in my estimation, we need more people like uh, Judge Warren on the bench. Uh, let me point, to, point out, too, that he's running... <clears throat> against uh, Judge Seema Patel, who was appointed in March by Governor Gretchen Whitmer to fill a vacancy on the court. I think it's important to point out, too, that um, Judge Patel, prior to joining the bench, was an appellate attorney for Figer Law. Now, those of you who remember the Jack Kevorkian days, uh, Jack Kevorkian, Dr. Death, the champion of physician-assisted suicide, was represented by Jeffrey Figer. And uh, since that time, Figer has continued to be a very, you know, political, important political force um, within the within Democratic Party politics. And so I think it's important to remember that she was working with uh, Jeff Figer and has had no experience uh, as a judge before being appointed uh, by Governor Whitmer in March. In contrast... You've got Judge Warren, who has served 20 years as the Oakland County Circuit Court, on the Oakland County Circuit Court. He's got extraordinary respect, uh, one of the most respected jurists in this whole area. He's a law professor. He's a former member of the Michigan Board of Education. As I mentioned, he's co-creator of Patriot Week. And I think this is, most of us don't have the opportunity to look at uh, the judges that are coming up for election. So this is why I want to stress again, in the state of Michigan, make sure you're consulting the Michigan Right to Life uh, list of judges. I'm not going to go through them because there are many listeners who are not from the state of Michigan. But uh, it's easy to find, again, Michigan Right to Life, and they'll have the list of their endorsements for uh, district judges, court judges, for circuit court, for the uh, appeals court, and also for the Supreme Court, because there are uh, two endorsements for the Michigan uh, Supreme Court. Let me take just a little bit of a turn here. I've come across some articles recently in which people were arguing that uh, Christians uh, have no reason to expect the surrounding, quote, secular society to uh, adapt, or excuse me, adopt uh, positions that we hold. Let me stress again that what we're not asking people to adopt uh, parochial uh, decisions. We're talking about uh, matters of universal importance. And if you take a look uh, throughout the history of the people of God, going back to the Old Testament, even when the Jews were in Babylon, which was the equivalent of a secular society, similar to what Christians being in America today, you still had uh, their interest in the well-being of the people. So, so Jeremiah writes, for instance, uh, 
Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. It's Jeremiah 29, verse 7. He's talking to people who are in exile. And he's saying that part of our responsibility uh, is not to uh, wait until all of a sudden we've got uh, great political power uh, and can exercise power over people. That's not the point. The point is wherever we are, we're to seek the welfare of the city where we've been sent. In this case, in their case, it was into exile. And those of us who feel alienated from the American mainstream today, we still have the responsibility of working for the well-being of the nation of which we are a part. You think of Daniel uh, in Babylon, for instance. Uh, He said that Nebuchadnezzar, again, not a Jewish king, uh, a, a king who's opposed to Judaism, he said to Nebuchadnezzar, Uh, King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So there you have again a a believer, a Jewish believer, a member of the covenant community of God, living in a a community of exile. Uh, He has, in his case, he's got a position within the government, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's administration. And he's actually encouraging, uh, prophesying to Nebuchadnezzar that he needs to be practicing righteousness. And he needs to be showing mercy to the oppressed. He wasn't waiting until Nebuchadnezzar was converted to say that to him. So those of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus, who are members of the people of God, need to remember that when we participate in political process, we're participating for the good of all.